Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 9. As we look at this passage that unfolds for us in two sections. And the question that I have, the title of the sermon is a question. Are you feasting with wisdom or folly? Are you feasting with wisdom or folly? I can't answer that question for you. Only you can answer that question for you. So let's read this text and then we'll walk through it quickly together. There are two main points because there are two main sections. Exegetically, if we look, the passage breaks down in verses 1 through 12 as one section, verses 13 through 18 as the second. The first is the feast of wisdom. The second is the feast of the folly, of those in folly. Wisdom has built her house. She has been hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the high places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. Here's the refrain that has been repeated for nine chapters. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, by wisdom, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The feast of folly is described. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he who does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So we have here for us two feasts, both being prepared by two very different Absolutely contrary ones. There's no association between these two crowds. The wise and the fool. And so we look first at the Feast of Wisdom. What is the Feast of Wisdom and how is it laid out before us? Well, first of all, the Feast of Wisdom is prepared with great care and concern. It's it's in verses 1 through 3 that we see that the Feast of Wisdom is prepared very carefully. Notice... She's hewn out her seven pillars. Now, many people have tried to make that something of that, allegorically. Read into that. Make it mean something. But I don't want to do that this morning because I think that typically what's being done here through typology, through, um, through a mnemonic device is this picture, a metaphorical device. This picture is that wisdom is well prepared. She's hewn out the seven pillars. She's slaughtered the beast. She's mixed her wine. She's set out her table. She's sent out her young women to call the high, from the high places in the town. 
What's being said here is that wisdom is not flying by the seat of its pants. Wisdom is well planned. From before the foundation of the world, we can say, wisdom has planned to bring those who will come. She has planned the exact number who will come. She has prepared the place they will come to and the meal that they will eat. Every detail has been attended to. I think about Elizabeth Elliot. As I was saying this, I think about Elizabeth Elliot. She one time spoke at New Orleans and she was talking to a mixed crowd, but she paused in her talk and started talking to women. And she said, now, you women out there, she was an old, you know, she's an older lady, and uh, some of you may have heard her. She's really strong, opinionated. She stopped, she said, now, all you women out there, y'all serve your husbands off paper plates, and I'm offended by it. This is in the middle of a sermon. She said, oh, you have your friends come over, and you bring out the fine china. And you make all these preparations. And you do all the candles. And you decorate the table. She said, you honor people who you don't even know very well, but you won't honor your husband. And so she launched out in this long teaching about prepping for your husband to eat his meal every night. I'm sure the women appreciated that, right? I'm sure the men were elbowing. Yeah, yeah let me tell you. What she was getting at, really, was a way of life that she believes in. But it's a good example of what's going on in this text, isn't it? Wisdom isn't just flying by. The, she doesn't just show up and all of a sudden she says, Oh my goodness, somebody's coming to the house. Y'all throw something together real quick. Let's get something cooked in the microwave. Throw it on the table. It's a feast. It's been prepared well beforehand. The number of seating is laid out. She's built the home that they will reside in to eat their meal. Wisdom is well prepared. You would think that an, one who is all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful has laid out this feast. Wouldn't you get that impression? That's the impression that I get. Notice that it's well-prepared. Secondly, if we look, we see that in her preparation, she did not fail to send out the message for the feast, the invitation for the feast. She not only prepared the feast, but now she's inviting people to come to the feast. And how does she do that? She doesn't do it secretly under the cover of night. She, she goes and sends her messengers to the highest places in town, notice in verse 3, and they scream out, they literally holler, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. It's a great, this kind of invitation you want, isn't it? To those of you who are lacking sense, come and eat my bread, come and drink my wine. Leave your simple ways and live. Walk in the way of insight. It's a very interesting way to talk about this feast. The preparation has been made. She's not flying by the seat of her pants. This has been done for a long time. How long does it take to build a house? That's what hewing out pillars is. How long does it take to build a house? The preparation is being made. How long does it take to slaughter, prepare the meal? Mix the wine. There's all this time, all this expense, all this planning and preparation that goes on. And then she doesn't fail to invite who, her guests. And who are her guests? Those who are simple. Those who have lacking of understanding or lack insight. Those who need instruction. That's who she's inviting. And it's come and eat my bread, she says, and drink my wine. 
it's here that I pause and ask, does this sound the least bit familiar to you from another passage of Scripture? In the New Testament, we find this passage repeated by the Lord. Take your Bible and turn to Luke 14. The use of this passage by the Lord surrounds the call of the gospel. Luke 14. Jesus says, In verse 15 it says, When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he goes on to explain, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything's now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses The first said to him, I've bought a field. I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five ox, uh, five yoke of oxen. And I, I, I I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've just married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master said, became very angry and told his servants, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city. Bring in the poor. Bring in the crippled. Bring in the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done and still there's room. And the master said, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Very similar setting here. Setting of wisdom and the setting of the gospel. Remember in the previous sermons we've talked about the fact that wisdom is personified in the person of Jesus Christ. And I believe the banquet that is prepared for us in wisdom is the banquet of the gospel. In Psalm chapter 23, Jesus is is being spoken of there as the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? He strengthens the people with his rod and staff. He walks through the valley of the shadow of death. And you fear no evil for the rod and staff, they comfort you and they bring you strength. But you get to the end and what does it say he's done? He has prepared for us a what? A banquet table in the presence of our enemies. The banqueting or feasting on wisdom and the gospel is parallel. You cannot claim to have eaten from the table of wisdom in the biblical sense unless you have come to the one who laid the feast. You can't have this feast outside of Christ. So how is it that you prepare to come? Some of you in here still need to eat from this feast. Some of you are still yet not in Christ. So I want to give you clear instruction. How do you prepare yourself? Well, what did the people in our Two passages in Proverbs 9, 1 through 6, and then here in uh, Luke 14, beginning in verse 15. How did they prepare? What did they do? Nothing? That's a great answer. They didn't do anything. They're going about their daily business. They're lame. They're blind. They're in great need. And they hear the invitation and respond. They come. 
They don't do anything. They don't clean their life up. Wisdom doesn't tell her, her maidens, go out and tell them, take baths, put on feasting robes, come into my home after you've well prepared yourself. We don't hear wisdom saying in this passage, hey, I've done all this to get prepared, now you need to get prepared. No. She simply goes out and sends the message, come, eat my bread, drink my wine, don't make any preparation, just come. The call of the gospel is the same. Come to the one who is the bread of life and drink from him and eat from him with no charge, we are told in the New Testament. And so we see that the preparation is all done on the side of wisdom. It's all done on the side of God. God is the one who has prepared. God is the one who has made the banquet in His Son, Jesus Christ. And for the lost man, the need for you is to simply come. In coming, you are realizing your shortfall. You're realizing your need. You're, you're recognizing and admitting, in a sense, and you're repenting of the fact that you don't have what it takes. Just in the fact that you respond. What's the problem with the people invited in Luke 14? They didn't think they had any need. Hey, I just bought a field. I don't have time to go to a party. Hey, I just bought these yoke box and i got to get busy with them. I can't come eat with you. I've got a wife. I've got responsibilities at home with my wife. I can't come to your party. What's the implicit point? We don't need you. And we don't need your party. Same is true of wisdom. We will see that the scoffer is, is parallel, in a sense, to those who don't have need in the New Testament. The reason you don't spend your time with a scoffer is because a scoffer does not see that the message you have pertains to them. These are not simply lost people. These are people who are opposed to wisdom or opposed to the gospel or too good for it or in no need of it. In another place, Jesus, speaking of these scoffers, said, I have not come as a physician trying to heal those who don't need a physician, I've come as a physician to those who are sick. So here the great setting of the wisdom in 9 is coming down to the end of the lectures. He's kind of wrapping a bow up on everything. And what Solomon's telling his son is, listen, God has prepared a great feast of wisdom for you. Your role in this is to come. Son, your role is not to clean your life up. Your role is not to try to become a good person. Your role is to simply come to the house of wisdom and eat from what she has prepared. It's the same in the gospel. Listen, if you're lost today, the message of this church to you is come to Christ. Don't give up smoking. Don't give up drinking. Don't, don't give up sex before marriage. Don't try to turn away from your homosexuality. Don't stop swindling money from your business first. Come to Christ. While you are lame, while you are blind, while you are broken, come to Jesus. The worst thing you can do is leave here and stop all of those bad activities. That's the worst thing that can happen to you. Because at that point, you will quickly slide, unfortunately, most likely, into the category of the scoffer. You'll have no need. Hey, I used to be a bad guy. I'm not bad anymore. Why do I need to come to your banquet? Why do I need your sermons? Why do I need your message? That'll be the response. So here Solomon says, all the preparation was made by wisdom. Once she made a preparation, she sent out her invitation. The people being invited are not to do anything but respond by coming. Jesus is the same. 
When the banquet was prepared by the master of the house, he sent out his invitation. The scoffers rejected it, and those in most need came. And I want to make a point, too, to just say, as I was studying this, it struck me. Often, we are questioned about, well, what about, what if I invite somebody that can't come? Or what if I invite someone to the gospel who, you know, that they're not elect? You know, we're all worried about who's elect and who's not. Listen, does the messenger or the maiden, is she concerned with who's in or out? No. Are the servants in Luke 14 concerned about who's going to come or not? No. They have a message. They go present the message. Some of us need to hear that this morning. We are messengers. We bear good news. Our responsibility is to present good news. Not worry about who will come and who won't. Preach the good news. So, Solomon says, wisdom has prepared. She has laid her foundation. She has, she has made her banquet. She has sent out her invitation. And I would say that's the invitation of the gospel. Secondly, in this major idea of the feast is who won't come. So we know who will come, those in greatest need. But who won't come? Look what it says in verse 7. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. So what's the, what's the solution? Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. That sounds callous, doesn't it? I mean... We're not talking, remember, about lost people in general. We're talking about those who are opponents to the gospel. Those who are against the gospel. I mentioned, may mention this last Sunday. I think sometimes our focus gets off in our apologetics and we start to try to argue people into the heaven of God, into the, in the kingdom of heaven. It's impossible. You cannot convince someone who is hardened against the gospel of anything. You can't twist their arm. You can't make them come. The Bible here says, you're making a fool of yourself if you do that. Leave them alone. This is exactly how Jesus treated them, isn't it? When Jesus was confronted with the Pharisees, we don't see Him continuing to sit in long debate sessions with them. He rather preaches the truth and moves on. He calls them what they are, and He moves forward. He doesn't spend a lot of time with them because they are hardened against the gospel. So... The same is true for us. Who can't come to the feast? Those who are proud, scoffers, those who are against the invitation, in a sense. Notice that it's the wise that are just the opposite. The wise in this story are not those in no need. They're those who realize they're in need. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man. He will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. I mean, the picture of the scripture here is that the feast is laid, the invitation's gone out, the scoffer is not coming. Don't waste your time on it. Once they've turned their nose at it, once they've given you the hardened answer of one who is a mocker of the gospel, turn away. Don't continue to labor there. But rather go to those who, the wise who receive your instruction. If you correct them, they will be still wiser. Notice. It's not that they have everything together. No, it's that they realize they don't have it together. I would equate these wise ones to the lame and the poor and the blind in Luke 14. 
They're wise because they are now realizing, they're coming into, into public knowledge that I don't have the answers. I don't have the answers. His summation of this first point is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. If you come to me, I will multiply your days. In truth, he will make them eternal. And to your years will be added life. So, this is the result of coming to the great gospel feast. Eternal life. Days upon days of living. This wise one receives the reward of his wisdom, which is eternal life. And the scoffer takes his brunt of his punishment on himself. What about the Feast of Folly? So we know about the Feast of Wisdom. The Feast of Wisdom is the feast of those who have come in to the gospel, or coming into the gospel, accepting Christ. The wise are there. What about the Feast of Folly? Are you at the Feast of Folly? Well, here's how you know. How does Folly prepare her feast? She's seductive. <laughs> Full of simpleness is the, is the Hebrew she knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house and she takes high seats in the place and calls to all those on the straight way. Now, compare and contrast here. What did the wise wisdom do? Made great preparation, advanced planning, put forth an architectural plan, we might say, of how you would come into the feast. We see none of that with folly. It's simple. It's slipshoddy. There's no preparation. There's no, there's no feast. Notice later in the passage, she doesn't come with her own offerings to offer to you. Look what she says in verse 17. Stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. I mean, she's so, so deceptive. She lays a feast out that looks like her feast, in reality, it's a feast she's stolen. She's a mocker. Folly lays out some, in other words, the picture, get it in your mind, the wisdom has laid out this great banquet in a well-prepared home and she has sent out advance invitation to come. Folly across the street hasn't made any preparation. She sits in the door and she calls you to come to a feast she didn't buy or prepare. It's not hers. She stole it. She deceptively presents something that looks on the outside like wisdom. Get it in your mind. How can you tell if wisdom prepared and folly didn't prepare? I mean, by just the eye test, you can't really tell, can you? There's bread and wine over here. There's bread and wine over here. How will we know? What, what will cue us in to which feast we're in? She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on high places of the town, calling to those who pass by. Same, similar invitation. Notice verse 4 and verse 16. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, there's the difference. Do you see it? Verse 5 says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I've mixed Verse 17 says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. 
The picture here is that the phony folly is known by the fact that all she has to offer you is counterfeit stolen goods. She makes no claim this is the real thing. It's just as good as the real thing. Let's apply it practically. God created in the garden the marital relationship. He made man and woman. He married them. He presided over the first marriage. And in the command, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth with your descendants. Right? Subdue it. Have dominion over it. We had this great charge. So God created the marriage. And God sealed that marriage with the sexual act for more than this, but at least to reproduce, to subdue the earth, to put humans all over the face of the earth. That's wisdom. Folly says, you don't need to get married. Listen, it's, more, it's, it's better to keep your options open. Take it for a test ride. That's the slang way of saying it now. Hey, you, can't, you don't buy a car without driving around the block. Well, you're going to get married and you're not going to you know, live together for a few months. Check it out. Stolen bread and stolen water. Counterfeits. Counterfeits. But she's offering it to you. And so the simple are walking along the path and they hear the call of wisdom. Come in. Eat this banquet that I've prepared for you. I've paid for it. I've purchased it. It's mine and I'm giving it to you. And finally, on the other side of the road, saying, come in here. I can give you everything he's offering without all the commitment, without all the strings, without all the baggage. Right? In finances, the gospel calls forward that we are to be hard workers. Yet the gospel calls you to be a hard worker. I don't know if you've realized that. Ephesians 4 says, work hard instead of stealing so that you have plenty left over to give to those in need, right? That's a gospel application in hard work. Wisdom is crawling forth from this banquet in that way. Folly? Oh, listen, you don't need to work so hard. Take it easy. Get rich quick. I heard about a scheme. Go buy a lotto ticket. I've gotten a lot of those questions lately. Since the last sermon, I mentioned the lotto. Now a lot of people say, so you, like, you think we can play the lottos? Like people all of a sudden wanted some sanction to buy a lotto ticket. They said, if you want to waste $2, that's fine. It's a waste. As Bruce said, you're more likely to get killed by a falling coconut than you are to win the big lotto. If you want to play those odds, play them. As Aaron says, your odds don't get any better. Don't think the more pigs I buy, the better chance I got. No, it's the same odds. But that's what folly tells you. You don't need to work hard. You don't need to invest wisely. You don't need to lay aside for tomorrow. Just live fast. Get it quick. Make it easy. One leads to death. One lives, leads to life. Raising children. The gospel way to raise children is to invest in their little lives and train them and teach them to love the Lord their God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength and their neighborhoods and say, put the fear and admonition of the Lord in them, right? That's, that's, but finally he says, look, all of that's overrated. They're a bother, aren't they? They get on your nerves all the time, right? Stick them in a corner. Get rid of them. Shoo them. 
Don't invest in them. You got your own life. You got to keep your independence. Folly screaming one thing, wisdom through the gospel screaming another. The question is, where will you turn? Where are you feasting? What are you believing? Because the results are contrast clearly. Verse 18 says, Those who are turning into folly, as they pass through the door, they have no idea that the dead are the guests of folly. The dead. And everybody she's ever invited to come that came, they're in the grave. In verses 12, in verse 12, we see that the wise are wise, and they have days multiplied and years added. And the contrast in verse 18, you go feast with folly, you're feasting with death. You're headed to the grave. Luke 14, as we close, I imagine, I envision that had Jesus continued, all of those people who rejected his invitation, at some point in their life, thought they had made a wise decision. I mean, notice he didn't say they were frivolous. Every one of them had good reasons, right? Humanly speaking, they had good reasons not to come. I just bought a field. I got to go walk it and examine it. That's what you would do if you just bought a field. I just bought five ox, ox yoke, yokes of oxen. I got to go get them trained. I got to start using them. That's why I bought it. It's a good excuse. I just got married. What better excuse, right? My wife wouldn't understand. We're, we're kind of in the honeymoon phase. I can't come to your banquet. All of them looked wise in the moment, but in the end, they faced destruction. Because notice at the end, he says, no one I invited shall come and eat from this banquet. Not one person. Fill my house up so that none of them can come. All of those who were living this poor life, lame, blind, poor, outcast, they're brought into the great banquet hall. They're seated with the feast of the king. And they're eating. They're enjoying. They've suffered, but now they're enjoying. Why am I saying this? Because like in Proverbs 9, those who come into wisdom have life. Those who come into, into folly have death. The same is true for you. The same is true today. The, the answer can only be made by you. I can't answer for you. I know where I've chosen to go in. I've gone in to the gospel way. I've come into the house of wisdom. I've sit with the Lord and feast at His table. And it is delightful. It is good. It's not always easy, but it's good. So what will it be for you? Will you come into Him? Will you answer the call? Or will you be like one of those who has a good human excuse for not coming? Will you say, I'm too busy. I got too big a family. I got too much going on. My business is dragging me down. When I get all this taken care of, I'll come. Be careful, the door closes. And all those outside can't come in. The wise are still wiser when they come to the feast. The fools are shut out and go to death. How will it be for you? That's how Solomon closes his teachings. His ten lectures close with that.
pertinent question. What will you do? Will you come or will you not? The answer is for you to make between you and God. John chapter 6. I was just telling Hannah Grace this last night. John chapter 6 says, Jesus says, that all the Father gives to him will come to him and he will by no means cast them out. He will rather raise them up on the last day, just as he has promised. My point is this. Say, what if I'm not invited? You're invited. Come. What if I come and he doesn't want me? It's impossible. If you come to him, he will have you. But you must come.